Let's jump into Luke, Luke 1, okay? Luke 1, verses 67 through 79. Over the next few weeks, we are specifically going to be honing in on the spirit of Advent and waiting. What are its implications for us? How can we embody this hope we have in Christ, all right? Would you stand with me as we open up God's Word? Embodying our reverence and submission to God's Word. All right. The context of this is Zechariah, who is a priest, the father of John the Baptizer. His mouth is opened after nine months of it being sealed shut because he didn't believe God's promise about his son. And now this is what he speaks. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. God, we bless you for the light that has come into the world and that shines in the darkness. Lord, it's so easy to ignore the darkness, um, to try and numb ourselves to the darkness, to find some other easier hope in the darkness. when the light is shining right in front of us in Jesus. And so, would you bless us during these four weeks with new and more vivid vision of the light who is Jesus and teach us the necessity in our discipleship of learning to wait Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you help my brothers, my sisters, everyone in this room to have eyes that can see the light of Jesus and the contrast of the darkness around us that we would know the hope that we have in him. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, you can take a seat. Um, embracing Advent, 
truthfully embracing liturgy of any kind is a very new thing for me in my uh, life with Jesus. It wasn't up until about five years ago when it even came on my radar as something that was important when we as a church went through a series on Sabbath and learning what does it mean to Sabbath to set aside a day where we refuse to work because God has freed us from slavery and that God himself rests. I grew up in a church, not I didn't grow up in a church, I grew up attending a church on Christmas and Easter with my grandparents, and it was an old dying Presbyterian church, a preacher in a robe would walk up to a big pulpit high above everybody else and would give an inspiring message about the life of Jesus and his moral character and how it was exemplary, and it was so boring to me. Kids, I'm sorry if this is boring to you. If you're sitting in here, I apologize. I've been there. It was so boring to me, though, because it did not have the contents of the need and necessity for why we would wait in the hope of eager anticipation of Jesus. It was just traditionalism. And so I came to faith in college and was like, Jesus is real. This is incredible. Oh, my gosh. Life is... Life with God is open for anyone. This is mind-blowing. And then Advent would roll around, and I'd be kind of like, it's just traditionalism, right? Easter would roll around and be like, yay, Jesus is alive, death is defeated, but it was just traditionalism. And then my life started getting really, really, really hard in new ways. And I could tell myself the truth all I wanted, but it wasn't working. And I experienced a disconnect between what I knew to be true and what I experienced to be true. And I began to pick up old books on liturgy and old prayers and feel as I prayed things I would never spontaneously pray because I didn't have the faith and courage myself to pray those things. I began to feel the flame of faith rising up in me, and it started to become real in ways that it was not before that. My hope for us as a people is that we would know the difference between deconstructing traditionalism that says it's essential in and of itself, but it's just a good thing that was helpful for people of the past that's no longer necessary or relevant or on point for us in our day, and we can like take that apart and say, yeah, this isn't essential to our faith. While reconstructing necessary liturgical structures that take our faith from information and declaration into lived experience and reality. So to put it really plainly, that this Advent, that these four weeks for us, for however long you're here, because I know some of you are going to be gone in a week or two weeks and going off to wherever you might be, and you can go and listen to the teachings online, whatever it might be, that the hope of the incarnation of the Son of God would resolutely restructure your vision and imagination for how you can experience God in your daily life. That any time fear would look at you in the face and tell you, you better not live for Jesus, you better live for me, you would say, the light has come. I don't need to listen to the darkness. That you would know death 
never will have the final word anymore. And if you are like the many that I have talked to and have been involved in the founding of this church community, one of the primary pains and disconnects in us learning to follow Jesus and live in his kingdom is the fact that we know a whole lot, but we fail to experience it. It doesn't feel real to us. Anyone resonate with that? Yearning for more reality with God and the experience of his promises in your daily life. Yes? No? Where are we at? Yeah, because I meet people grab me and say, hey, can we meet for coffee on Monday? I'm like, yeah. And they're, they're like, oh my God, like describing this reality to, the, to me. And I'm like, yeah, you and everyone else. Um, one of my favorite authors from uh, the 20th century is A.W. Tozer. There's some stuff that he's written that I'm like, ah, it's not great. I don't totally agree with that, but... That's just with anybody, right? So this particularly resonates with me. And he wrote this in 1948. The whole transaction of religious conversion, so becoming a Christian, following Jesus, has been made mechanical and spiritless. Faith may now be exercised without a jarring to the moral life. He just means to changing the way that you live. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The person is saved, but he's not hungry or thirsty after God. In fact, he is specifically taught to be satisfied and encouraged to be content with little. The modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amidst the wonders of his word. Let me clarify what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean, let's love Scripture less. What he means is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You think that in searching the Scriptures you have life when it's them that point to me. We have almost forgotten that God is a person and as such can be cultivated relationally as any person can. It is inherent in personality to be able to know others but full knowledge of one by another cannot be achieved in one encounter. It is only after long and loving relationship that the full possibilities of both can be explored. Religion, so far as it is genuine, is in essence the response of created people to the creating personality who is God. That's why Jesus said, this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed person is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. That's a long way of simply saying... We who come to Jesus are invited into a life full of relationally dwelling with God day by day. And settling for anything else is sub-Christian. 
Advent is the good news when we seek to live with God in the midst of a broken world. Because the world is still broken. Did you know that? The world and we are still broken. And the conflict of our life, oftentimes, in following Jesus, is failing to see the great hope of the light that he is in the midst of the great darkness that surrounds us. Advent forces us to deal with both and to hold them both in tension. So as we wait for Jesus this month, hopefully the Spirit blesses us to see the hope we have in Him, but I guarantee you what that's going to do in you is increase your awareness of the darkness and brokenness of death that still is an enemy in this world. Put it this way. Advent only matters to us, that is important to us, to the degree that we feel the darkness that we live in and that we see the light of God's relational presence in Jesus. Then Advent starts to matter. Then we want to live into it in our daily life over these four weeks so that it would become more real to us. So, as we look to Luke 1, I want to point out for us simply this. The glorious promises that Zechariah declares about Jesus. Note first that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. We've devoted, to this last, we've devoted this last year to learning to pray, and over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. This is the fundamental work of Holy Spirit, this holding hope in the midst of darkness, this seeing what is promised in the midst of seeing or experiencing what feels real. Holy Spirit is God among us, making God real to us. We, too, need Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is needed to see the light who is Jesus and to see with clarity the darkness of living without Him. Listen to the promises of God that Zechariah says, being fulfilled in Jesus, okay? So, verse 68, first. God has visited His people and redeemed them. We don't quite have the longing We have nothing close to the longing that any Israelite in the first century would have had to hear God has come to be with us again. Through the exile, the wilderness, another exile, waiting, longing, a temple that paled in comparison to the glory days of the first temple. Um, Waiting for the presence of God was fundamental to any first century Israelite. It's all right. It happens. It's real life. (laughs) For Zechariah, the first thing that he says, the first promise and blessing of God, is that he came to us. We're not alone anymore. Aloneness in our daily experience is fundamental to so much of the brokenness that we encounter. 
be it loneliness that's just like right on the nose, be it anxiety that feels like our whole life is on our own shoulders because we're alone, be it depression because of the hollowness of loss of meaning or anger that we've been living with because no one cares about us, it's because we're alone. Death itself is the cutting off into the fear of the unknown alone. The good news of the gospel and the promise of the future is that God and humanity will be reconciled in tangible presence to live together again. All injustice will be gone. All evil will be gone. All sin will be gone. Because we're back together again. I wonder if we see that as the primary problem in our life. And the way that God has visited us is to redeem us. Redemption means the exchange into ownership. Okay? It's not just some religious term. It actually had meaning. It has meaning. To redeem your tickets at the arcade, like my kids last did last week, is to exchange something for something else into your own ownership. And man, that arcade was a ripoff. It was like 1,500 tickets for this tube of Laffy Taffy, and then you open it up, and it's one-third full. We were like, how much money did we spend for those tickets to get that much Laffy Taffy? And how much Laffy Taffy could we just bought? Oh, man, that's depressing. But what's not depressing is the fact that God has exchanged his son into the jaws of death to save you and me out of the jaws of death into his possession and presence. If you follow Jesus this morning, if you say, as best as I can in all my brokenness, I'm following him, you have been saved out of darkness into the presence of his light. God has made an exchange that was not contingent on you. You get to stand on something firm. Second, in verses 69 through 71, Zechariah says, God has raised up a horn of salvation, a horn blasting out the good news and free invitation of salvation, that all the enemies of all who come to him have been defeated by him. Fundamental to the gospel, to the coming of Jesus as the light of the world, is the defeat of all the darkness in the world. Jesus is the victorious one over all the darkness. That's salvation in the Old Testament scriptures. That the people of Israel had all of their enemies defeated by God. That if they waited on him, he would defeat all of their enemies, even as they seem to be closing in on them. For us, who, for we who follow Jesus, what that means is, even in the midst of everything frightening that closes in on your life, whether it's tragedy that crashes in suddenly, or your projection into the future of a kind of life that, at the pace you're on, is terrifying to you. God promises that if we will simply wait with him and worship him at the center of our life, all of our enemies will be defeated. All of the sin in us, all of the evil outside of us, all of the, the oppression and injustice of society around us will one day be made right. That's what the cross says. That's what the resurrection promises. 
In verses 73 and 75, the third promise, he has given us the privilege to serve him in holiness and righteousness without fear. If you don't remember any other ones, remember this one. For many of us, we are afraid to fully follow Jesus. We're afraid to fully surrender ourselves to him, to fully give our lives to him. Because of what may happen if we do. Zechariah says, with the coming of God to dwell among us again, we can serve him without fear. So maybe this Advent is a moment for you to realize and to learn to embody that if you fully surrender yourself to Jesus, if you entrust every area of your life to him, that is, refusing to go apart from Jesus to get what you want, and instead offering up those desires to him by prayer and walking with his people as a disciple, you have nothing to fear. So you don't need to fear a lack of whatever degree of success you imagine in your life. There are very few people in our world that can reach the highest echelons in being a faithful follower of Jesus. The world demands too much of you. The world demands your worship to reach the highest echelons. That's not to say it's impossible. God exalts someone like Joseph all the way up from prison, okay? But it's more miraculous than it is because of the work that someone put in to earn it. Because if we live according to Jesus, refusing the fear of a future that is less successful than we imagine, we're trusting ourselves to him to exalt us. Do you see that that's surrendering to Jesus, your future? So think about how when a work deadline comes around, or how when a finals deadline comes around, what fearlessness with Jesus would look like. It would mean still prioritizing him. It would mean still gathering with his people. It would mean not isolating ourselves from Jesus and people, thinking... That the serving of whatever we're afraid is, is just something that we can make an allegiance to right now and we'll change later. What I hope you see is that that is fear that you don't need to live with anymore. How freeing to know, yeah, I don't know how my life's going to go. I don't know how successful I'm going to be in the eyes of the world. But I'll tell you what, I'll be with Jesus the whole way. And it will be glorious. And I'll have peace. I'll feel whole. And the result is we can live rightly with God and people around us, 
loving him and loving people as the highest aim and what success even looks like in the first place. And know that one day he's going to set everything right. And the promise of peace is the last promise here in verses 78 and 79. Fourth promise. God is so mercifully compassionate that he can't leave us in darkness. But in Jesus will shine light into the darkness around us to lead us into the path of peace. That's what verses 78 and 79 say, and I'll just read them over us. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. If we will surrender ourselves into a posture of waiting on God, which is much of what yours and my life is like, we have nothing to fear and the path of peace before us in Him. If you are in Jesus this morning, which is simply to say your eyes are on Him, you're following Him, you're among His people, you're trusting in Him, these promises are true to you today. And so whatever rises up in you in response to me saying that, whether it's just can't be true of me, might be true of everyone else in this room, because everyone else is just way more faithful than me, and we can just one by one come up here and talk about, oh man, I feel like such a failure. Oh man, I feel so ashamed. Oh man, how I betrayed Jesus. And I get to hear a lot of it, but it's in small contexts. And you don't all get to hear it, so you all feel alienated from one another, like you're the one person that these things are true of. And just let me be the microphone to say, it's true of all of us. It's true of me. Advent is the invitation to chill out, quit the busyness, wait. That just means stop. Just slow down. So that you can embody and feel like, if I have hope in Jesus, I don't need to fear anymore. Oh, well, let me just sit for a couple minutes every morning and feel all the fears that rise up in me and say, oh, I don't need to live by you anymore. That's what this is trying to do. Chill out. Cool it. Start with remembering who you are and who God is. And can we just make a covenant together to just stop using the word busyness? We're not busy. Busy is our word to baptize the free decisions that we made and obligated ourselves to. And it's a word that gives us the feeling that we can opt out of faithfulness to Jesus because of those busyness things. We could call it overcommitment. We're the agent of our busyness way more than we want to admit, okay? And that's not to say that there aren't some weeks where we literally cannot be in the gathering, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that. 
But oftentimes, we excuse ourselves from waiting with God and receiving His promises and being formed as a disciple with the things that we just chose. And maybe this Advent, God will just help you to see and to experience the blessing of slowing down. To start Sabbathing. It's a gift. It's not a command. It's a gift to receive and to live into. Okay. So here's the simple question. Where is darkness pressing in on your life right now? Or maybe pressing on you internally right now. I have been overwhelmed in the last six months with the number of us and the other 50% of us that are not present on any given Sunday who are going through marked difficulty. The amount of mental anguish, relational conflict, material need, brokenness of bodies and minds, crippling loneliness, families in turmoil, suicidal thoughts, experiences of oppression, prejudice, and racism, and even the mundane existential boredom that drives us crazy is among us. And I've heard other leaders in churches in our city, in our country, and in other nations that on this side of COVID, a flood of other problems, and don't know why, have overwhelmed us. This is the moment for us to acknowledge the brokenness that is all around us, that is an invitation from God to look to Jesus and see the light. Not to ignore the darkness, but to see it in the light. Okay? And then from there, to see that the peace of Jesus is an invitation onto a path. You can't just sit on a path. You walk on a path. Discipleship is an embodied life. You need to change your life to experience the peace. And so listen for how the Lord would lead you this Advent into a different kind of living. It's a life of surrender. And Hudson Taylor, old missionary, said, The real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. Read it again. The real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. Friends, Advent reminds us the assurance that if we will surrender and resurrender ourselves to Jesus, He can only be faithful. He can only be faithful. He is the faithful one. So much of our misery 
is actually because we refuse to surrender, thinking that by not surrendering, we'll be happier. It's not true. That's darkness. Come into the light. Learn to live in the light with us.